I'm Pete Primo. This is the podcast for furniture and mattress store owners who want to make more money without the BS. Welcome to the No BS Sales, Marketing, and More podcast for furniture and mattress stores. If you own a furniture or mattress store or you work in one, this is a podcast for you. Episode 24, I am here with my co-host Doug Stewart. Doug, I had an open house and I missed the Future Leadership uh, Leaders Conference that Furniture Today did in September. And and I had a few questions about that. But before I ask you a few questions that I have, did you have fun, man? You know, it was a great conference. I was... Um... I was I was incredibly impressed with Furniture Today and the organization and the flow of the conference. I thought that they they really knocked it out of the park just in terms of of, of how they put that thing on. And you know, not that I would expect anything less from those guys, but it, it really was a it really was a phenomenal time. Really great conference. So I heard through the grapevine, Doug, that you had three talks in one. You talked about succession, mentorship, and leadership. Yeah. How long did you talk for, dude? <laughs> Actually, it was a, it was about a forty forty five minute talk. All right. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't that long, but I guess some of that is my um, how how scattered my brain can be at times. I have to um, switch topics um, pretty quickly sometimes. Well, we don't have forty five minutes today, but I want for the for the folks that miss this. There's some store owners out there and RSAs that couldn't make it. I want them to be able to get a few gold nuggets out of. Out of uh, out of what you did, so let's talk about succession. Number one, how do you define it, and then what are the keys? Sure. Well, I mean, I think the first thing you have to do is is recognize what a big problem it is, and and how many companies just die because they they hand off poorly, and and that's not really an indictment of um, the current generation. I think it's it's as much an indictment as the, of the future generation as is the current. And so one of the things that, that I thought was really interesting as I was sort of researching and, and planning for this talk was how this is an issue across the world. Um, I, I used a couple of different um, sayings from different parts of the world. One, you know, China, Brazil, Italy, Mexico, um, they all have their, their saying about, about family business. I mean, in China, they say wealth never survives three generations. Brazil, they say rich father, noble son, poor grandson. In Italy, they say from the stables to the stars and back to the stables. Mexico is, you know, father merchant, son gentleman, grandson beggar. And, you know, even in in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, in my little family business, it was a similar story. And um, my credibility to be able to tell this story, I think, is is pretty high because I've experienced the, the sting of a bad handoff and recognized that, you know, it was... It was me not serving my grandfather well, and, and it's in some cases, that was, that was vice versa. And so I laid out five different poor handoffs, and, and I'd say three out of the five I personally experienced, and the other, the other two were things that I see on a regular basis. And so my analogy was really that family business and business in general, you know, people say it's like a marathon. I don't think it's like a marathon at all. I think it's more like a relay race. Uh, because in a marathon, when they when they blow the, if you've ever watched a marathon start, people start out really slow, and it's pretty comfortable for the first you know eight miles, six miles. That's not true with 
when you start a business. No. If you've ever started a business, it sucks from the beginning. It's, it's hard. It's a sprint from the beginning. It is. It's fast. Yeah. And so your whole career as an entrepreneur, you are in a dead head down sprint. And you know, that's why I see it the analogy fitting to a relay race a little bit better than you know than, than a marathon. And so much better. You know, but what I find when you when you when I did a little research on on the relay race, what I realized was oftentimes um, the less talented sprinter team would win if they could execute on the handoff. Yep. And no matter how talented you were, how favored you were to win, if you did not execute on that handoff, then you really didn't have a chance and a lesser team could beat you. And so one yep. thing that I really wanted to get across is, you know, I don't think that um, the economy or competition or um, the employment pool, I don't think any of those things are um, as big of a problem for, for family business and for business in general as the, the ability or the inability to hand off. And I think that you know, people make their excuses um, because it's not, it's not very um, flashy or fun to say, you know, I screwed up the handoff so my, my family business went out. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that I'm one of the only people that I've heard say that. <laughs> you know, most people want to just blame it on the economy. I mean, I bought my family business in 2009 and things weren't great. Um, but I can tell you that I think I would have made it if me and my grandfather would have been in better alignment. We would have done the, done the hard work and the, um, the transparent work of, of handing off well. And right. if, if I would have done what I needed to do and, and was less entitled, and he would have done more of what he needed to do and was more, um, more open-handed, um, I think that um, I think that things would have turned out better, and I think that's the story for a lot of family businesses that are on the ropes. I mean, you know, ninety percent of of businesses don't make it to generation three, and I'm one of those. You know, I'm one of those ninety percenters, and so um, you know, a couple of the analogies that I gave one was the the give me that handoff. The current generation is running with the next generation, and the current generation goes to hand off, and the and the next generation grabs the baton. And then both of them just start fighting over the baton, right? And it's more a power struggle than a than an effort to um, to keep the momentum of the company. And it's it's really uh, dishonoring uh, each other, and 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 really dishonoring the the company in general and and future generations as well. And so the second one was the entitlement handoff, where the current generation is running as hard as they can. They're in that full head down sprint, and the the the, the next generation is just standing there, not doing their work being entitled and saying, um, give me the baton, it's my turn, I want the control, I want the power. And then once they get it, they have no earthly idea what to do with it because they haven't done their work and they haven't earned the right uh, to, to continue on with the, with the, um, with the business that, that, that has been laid out up to that point. And so the next one was the disrespect. And that's, that's really when – this happens kind of two ways, uh, uh, and I've seen it both ways, where – the current generation is running as fast as they can, and it comes time to hand off. And instead of reaching the baton out and handing off the baton, they just turn and throw the baton the other way. Because if they can't run it, uh, they want to make sure that it is, it is because of them that the company thrives or fails. And so they, they almost sabotage their own success in, order, in an effort to um, make themselves feel more important. But I also think that happens the same with um, with the next generation. You know, current generation is running head down fast as they can, hard as they can, and they make the handoff. And instead of 
taking the baton and continuing, the next generation just stops and throws the baton the other direction, believing that I've earned this, I deserve this, um, this is because of who I am, I should get this. And um, I think that's just as bad as the, <laughs> as the, as the previous example. And then um, the next one was the white knuckle handoff. And the white knuckle handoff is the current generation's running, 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 goes to handoff, and instead of letting go, they just continue to hold on. And we've and actually seen that in races. Yeah, where absolutely. They, they, they botch they the handoff. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not knowing when to let go is, is important because it is important to hang on until it's time to let go. I, because I, there's, I have there's, this vision of the, you know, when you see a handoff in a race, uh, there's a transition where they start to run and they have this area where they can, where they kind of almost run together. That's right. And I can, I'm envisioning the gentleman that, or or lady that is receiving the handoff and like saying to the, I've got it, let go. Right. <laughs> and, right. and so this analogy is really brilliant and it brings me uh, to think about the, this book that I just listened to and I mentioned it to you um, last week. Uh, Doug, it's uh, Gina Wickman's book, Traction. And in it, they were having a bad handoff. This this dude, I don't, never met him. I just heard the book. Gina Wickman is a special guy because he sat his father down. And he went. they went into a room and they didn't come out for two or three hours. And he, and he said, listen, the way we're communicating with this company, I'm going one direction, you're going a different direction. We can't have this. We're going to organize this. We're going to define our roles. We're going to be very clear with each other what you're going to do and what I'm going to do. When we walk out of this room, Dad, we have to have a mutual respect for each other. To your right. point, we have to understand each other's role. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said, wow, that, you know, that was so uh, tough for a young man to do, to have this yeah. conversation with his father. I almost wish that the father would have had enough vision and wherewithal to have approached his son and said, son, this isn't going the direction I had intended. Let's let's sit down in a room and let's not come out until we sort this out because, you know, we are, you're going one direction, I'm going a different direction. We're confusing our employees. And if we're confusing our employees, obviously, sooner or later, we're going to be confusing our customers. That's right. That's exactly right. So. And you know, I think one of the one of the big issues, and and this was definitely true for me, is that sometimes as an entrepreneur or as a business person, your your decidedness is your greatest strength, right? Your your ability to make a decision, focus on that decision, go after it, and and reach and obtain goals is a, is a great strength to have. When it comes to succession, um, it it oftentimes is a weakness. Yes, because you believe that it is it is it is. Um, up to you wholly, and if um, and no one else can do it the way that you can do it, right? And that's probably true, um, provided that there was some sort of pill we could take to live forever. But there's not, <laughs> and well, you- and so I mean, look, it was true with it was true with my grandfather. You know, he was one of the most one of the most hard headed people that I know that I've ever that I've ever been around, um, and I and I I'm confident if he were here today, he would tell you that the same thing about me. <laughs> and you know we were we were we were cut from the same cloth, and we both had the same the same uh, drive and the same determination. And you put that in the same room, 
And sometimes when you put those two things in the same room, they, they don't they don't play well. And um, I, he, you know, he thought that the, the internet was a fad. <laughs> and I felt like the internet was wholly 100% the future of everything. And it, and, and it um, is. It, and and it and it is, and I was premature in that thinking, and so I was a little ahead of the ahead of the curve, and so instead of us both conceding to what reality actually was, we put our stakes in the ground. And sometimes putting your stake in the ground is a great thing for an entrepreneur, and sometimes it's devastating. Yeah, yeah. Bob, Doug, thanks for sharing that. You know, one of the things that I work with, and you know, very similar to you, you were a sales rep once upon a time in your career and I've been a, a sales rep since uh, 1991 and before that nine years in retail and one of the things that I've seen in in my almost 34 years is that very often a really good salesperson becomes a store owner mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. they become a store owner with management experience which is preferred sure but sometimes they don't sometimes they go from salesman to store owner with no management experience right. and no executive experience. They have to learn how to manage people. They have to learn how to become an executive sooner or later, even in small companies, because if nothing else, you have to be the executive of yourself. Right. Which <laughs> sounds complicated, but it's really not. One of the things that is kind of going through my mind is these skill sets that each party brings to the table could indeed be different. In your case, there was a certain uh, mental toughness that is really what makes a great salesperson. Without that, you will just fold before Mm -hmm. you ever get through the objections and the hurdles and, and whatever is out there that prevents us from making a sale. You have got this bullheaded guy or gal that you know, started this business, and it is hard for them to kind of let go of that baton. Yeah. And yeah. I would say it's especially tricky to know when to to, to let go of it. You know, yes. is he or she running fast enough? Is he or she running in the right direction? Can I let go of this without the whole thing collapsing? You know, I right. don't want this thing to fail. And ironically, and you pointed out so well, is that very mentality might cause the handoff to fail. Yes. And subsequently the yeah. business. Yeah. It's Yeah, it's, and and it's funny that was that was actually my last my last um metaphor for the handoff which was called the handoff that didn't. Yeah. Um and and I think that happens as as many times as any of the other ones where you know you've got this entrepreneur that just runs and runs and runs and never hands off. Right. And you know the the business is buried with that person. Yeah. And you know, it's. I always think it's a shame to see something that someone has put their life's work in um, leave this earth with them. Um, I have I have several businesses, and, and you know, these people over the years they become part of my family, Doug, mm-hmm. and I know them so well. And and the business just isn't gonna. It's it, it's not gonna be sold. It, it's not gonna be handed off. It's just right. gonna die. And and to me. You know, if it's not a very well-run business, eh, doesn't really matter. It's almost evolution, right? Sure. But some of these businesses are really good businesses. Yeah. But the kids don't want it for whatever reason. 
lots of different factors and, and to see these businesses it, it, it it's sad especially when it's a good business and yeah. the community was very well served and the community loves this business I mean right. we just had a business close here that I shouldn't frequent it's an ice cream place uh, <laughs> called East Coast Custard in, in the last couple of years Jenny and I realized that you know we didn't go there very often because it it is what it sounds like it's custard and it's really yummy and you should have it about three or four times a year right right yep. <laughs> not every week during the summer yep. which we have done in the past but no longer do and and that business closed up and it closed up because of a bunch of reasons but uh, some of them didn't seem like great reasons but um, everyone has their own reasons all I was trying to point out is is sometimes if it's a really good business it does a really good job the community really misses it when it closes because yeah. they have to find other alternatives that don't have the same level of service, same level of convenience, um, whatever the wow factor that was that made them special is no longer. And I, and I think in this, in our industry, and here's a takeaway for all of our owners, we have to really look at what we do for our customers, and we need to do things for our customers that other stores aren't doing. Mm-hmm. So instead of being a me too and saying, well, you know, I offer this, this, and the other, just like the other guy, so please give me your money, it's no, we don't do things the way the other guy does. We do them this way, right. and we do it this way to make sure you get the right furniture. We do it this way to make sure you get the right sleep system that's mm-hmm. going to help you wake up happy and pain-free. So I see where succession leads right to mentorship, Right. Yeah, there's. I think there's a natural connection. Yeah, there really is. Yeah. How do you see mentorship? I know that you have broadened out the definition, and you see it differently. Can you talk about that for a minute? Well, you know, the thing that made me start really thinking about mentorship differently, and, and a lot of this talk goes back to my grandfather. Um, you know, he was a he had a tremendous impact on me for for many reasons. I mean, he was he was my mentor in in business. Uh, you know, he he is the person. Um, along with my other, my grandfather on the other side, that I can remember um, most kind of those nuggets of of wisdom um, as a kid. You know, riding in the in the pickup truck, um, yeah. and and fishing, and and you know th- those kind of things, and, and teaching kind of life lessons. And um, <clears throat> I can remember once when he passed away in in 2010. I can remember thinking about what I could learn from from his life. And, you know, I, I looked at I looked at all the sort of the positive things and, you know, I started to feel as though that I would be dishonoring him in some way if I wasn't willing to learn from the negative things in the same way I was willing to learn from the positive things. And so that's that made me start to, to sort of look at mentorship maybe a little differently. And the best way that I could honor him and honor his life was to um, continue his success while building on his failure. And that's the thing that I that I have to hope for the generations to come after me, and so you know as I as I started you know kind of thinking in that way that the traditional definition of mentorship really changed for me, and it's it's not what it used to be where you know you kind of get picked out of the fold by you know someone that's in a position that you want to have one day and they tell you what to do and how to think and you do those things and you think that way and then one day you get that promotion and you become that person. Um, it's not like that anymore. I mean, we have these things in our in our pockets that that have the answer to any question that we 
that we'd like to have for the most part um, at our disposal in a moment's notice. We have people like, you know, I can I can watch any video of Seth Godin or Michael Hyatt or Dave Ramsey, and I can read Dale Carnegie's stuff and listen to his books. I mean, I have these people. I mean, I can I can look up anything I want to know about you know the great leaders of of um, of our country, like Abraham Lincoln, right? I mean, I can sure. I've got all of these people, and I can even ask people that are that are here currently with us today. Um, you know, I can. Yesterday, I sat and watched an entire um, episode live of the Ask Gary V show. Um, you don't even have to wait for it to get edited, right? You can watch it. You can watch things like that live. So I started thinking in terms um, of of my mentors were people who I decided um, were going to be my mentor. And so the sort of the analogy that I drew to kind of begin that that portion of the talk was um, about a time where I took my daughter skating for the first time, um, and and. I also think it's interesting how many lessons I get from from my daughter. Um, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be the one teaching the lessons, right? I'm I'm dad, and so I'm supposed to be the one that that is the mentor. But one thing that I find uh, in this, I always think it's in- interesting about mentorship. Um, I learn as much being a mentor as I learn being a mentee if I'm paying attention. And so I take my daughter skating. For the first time, she'd never been before. The only point of reference she had was the end of Frozen, where Elsa's like skating around, and you know they're all doing their thing, and they're like you know Olympic gold medalist skaters, and so that that's what she anticipated. And I think that happens for us a lot of times too, right? Like you you think running a business is so easy until you actually um, strap that business on, and then it ends up being a little bit different than what you've expected or what you've seen in the movies. Sure. And so um, I, I, I put Kendall down on the on the rink for the first time in her skates, and um, she was shocked at how challenging it was. And she was going incredibly slow, and and you know really really fighting to to just stay on her feet, much less skate. And so um, she was um, shocked, but because she's the fierce competitor that she is, she was com- she was committed to 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 learning it quickly. And so we were only out there like five minutes, and she had not literally gone ten feet yet. And the, the, the DJ comes on the loudspeaker and tells everyone to get off the rink. They're going to do some relay races. And so my daughter looks at me and says, I want to race. And I said, baby, you can't race because you can't skate. And so um, luckily the boys were going first. So I thought her watching the boys skate um, would, would deter her a little bit and help her to sort of understand, like, you're not ready for that, for that level of, of competition um, when it comes to skating yet. And... Um, so the boys went, and then the DJ came on and said, "Okay, all the girls out to the out to the starting line." And she's getting a little weepy, and you know she's like, "Daddy, I really want to race." So I look at her and say, "You know what? I tell you what, sweetheart, if you can get out there to the starting line, you can race." Because I knew she couldn't. And you know, like I guess I guess many fathers have the same um, experience. But she looks up at me with those, you know, with those big sad eyes and you know pouty a little bit, and she says, "Daddy, will you carry me out there?" And I'm like, oh man, this is gonna be really, this is gonna be bad. So um, I do it anyway because I felt like there was an opportunity, to, you know, to to learn a lesson either for her or for me in that moment. And so I take her out there, and what I saw next was really frightening because it wasn't other three and four year old little girls. It was like roller derby teenagers. I didn't have a chance if I would have been alone of beating any of these. I mean, they were like there every weekend. There were no other little girls. I'm looking at my daughter standing at the starting line beside all these all these huge girls, 
you know, she starts like getting in like the stance and like bouncing a little bit. And I'm like, she really thinks she's going to compete. And so the DJ's like, okay, you ready? Three, two, one, go. And the second she said go, these roller derby girls just like bust out of the starting line. And my daughter doesn't even take a step forward. She looks up at me and she goes, Daddy, push me fast. <laughs> and so, so I got I got behind her and I put my hands on her hips and stabilized her and we started around. And she's like head down, ready to go, all the confidence in the world. And it was a two lap race. And in that race, we got lapped twice. We finally made the turn. We finished the we finished the race, and they were very kind and cheered us on through the through the starting line. And you know, I, I feel like that's that's really what mentorship is, right? It's giving people an opportunity to have a win when they're not ready to have that win on their own, and and allowing them to compete at the level that they're able to compete in that moment. And helping them understand that that is a win for them. And so I sort of broke mentorship down in a few different levels. I, I took mentorship just as the word and, and I wanted to kind of define it. So here's how I defined it. Um, uh, here's what a mentor does. A mentor um, will meet you where you are. They'll encourage your growth. They'll n nudge you toward action. They'll tackle tough issues. They'll organize your thought process and they'll realign your perspective. And I wanted, I thought this was really important in my talk. I really wanted to make this point because this has been so true for me is that um, mentorship is about you taking responsibility for your development and that your mentor has 0% responsibility toward your personal development. Zero. Um, it is 100% about what, about how you're willing to develop yourself. Right. And so here's, here, I, I laid out five and a half mentors because I think if you. How, how um, dare you even think this way, Doug? Do you understand how counter your thought process to, is to the entire way the world is thinking right now? How dare yes. you? Yes. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see people flipping out listening to yeah. this. You mean I'm 100% responsible? But something happens when you take 100% responsibility, something really beautiful happens, mm -hmm. and that is, he or she's not responsible for me? No, you're responsible for you. Yep. Yep. And so the way you listen, the way you try to duplicate, the way you absorb information, the way you implement becomes a little bit more fierce when yes. you realize it's on me. And if someone's mother and father didn't tell them this, I'm sorry you're hearing it from Doug Stewart for the first time, but you need this. We all need this. This is a great reminder, Doug. I mean, it's really powerful. And, and it, you know, I didn't want us to gloss over that because mm -hmm. uh, we are living in a world right now where there's a bunch of handouts and a bunch of stuff going on that, that is the opposite of what you're saying. And when you accept 100% responsibility, there there's an energy that happens and, and there is a intensity that you have. You yep. read differently. You absorb differently. You implement differently. It's almost like this isn't practice. This is the game right, right now. Yeah. I'm sorry to let you know this. There's no practice. It's yeah. all game time. 
Yep. Right now. Yep. This yep. is it. Absolutely. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I didn't I thought that was very powerful. You know, you really are an old soul. <laughs> I am an old soul. You and, are. And it's you know, and I think part of it, Pete, is uh, I, there's also a a large part of of my my life. I would say the first gosh twenty something years of my life, I I lived as a victim, and didn't take personal accountability for virtually anything in my life. And so um, when I started taking some accountability, I didn't I literally didn't start developing as a human being until I was in my you know mid twenties, and you know I I've lived the difference between being a victim and being responsible for my, my own development. And, and I know, um, beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, that, that there's a significant and, and powerful difference between the two things. And you can't be both simultaneously. Yeah, the interesting thing is you had a background program playing with lessons from your grandfather, right? Right. But then the catalyst was your guidance counselor in college, right? Right, and right. She basically took, she took your walker away from you and said, yep. "There's no reason for you to be a victim anymore." Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to allow you to be a victim. Right, and and the funny thing was, nothing about my past changed. The right. way that I looked at my past changed, and you know, I can I can talk about all these all these stories about my you know my both of my grandfathers and you know things I learned as a as a as an adolescent, but I didn't get that until my mindset changed about how I was developing. It was all there. Um, right. But if you, if, I would have never told you that story at, at 22. Sure. It just wouldn't have happened uh, because I felt entitled. I felt like I was deserving of things that I hadn't earned yet because, I don't know, because I said so. <laughs> right? I mean, just just whatever. And, and, I, and I felt like I was defined by the labels that were given to me as a, as a kid. ADD, ADHD, sleep apnea, narcolepsy, dyslexia, you know, all of these things, and um, which, which culmin, uh, culminated into an acronym of LD, which, you know, I'm, I was learning disabled. And, and so that's, that's what it was. And, you know, that was, my, that was my crutch and that was my reason. And so I put a reason in front of responsibility and so I didn't have to be responsible for my development because I had papers that said that I couldn't. And when I decided that I wasn't going to roll like that anymore, and, and Sarah, um, my academic advisor at Liberty, um, shook that out of me, my life completely changed. And then when it changed, you know, my attitude changed. And then once I intersected with Dale Carnegie, um, the Dale Carnegie course, and then I was given methods to put with that attitude and, you know, develop these, these levels of mentorship, that's when I really feel like I started to really develop at a, at a, at a, in, a, in a dramatic, dramatic way. So, um, Have you stayed in touch with Sarah? No. Your first, book, the, your first book that you publish, you have to send, find her and send her a copy. I will. I will. Because she's going to be so proud. Yeah. So let me lay out these um, these the, really quickly. This five and a half mentors, and so all right. So the first mentor was um, was a categorical mentor, and so I gave an example at the at the conference of of one of my friends that that has um, the way that he takes care of himself in terms of like health health and wellness. His nutrition is really second to none. So I look at him, and he's really a mentor to me in that way. Um, I would I would like to be able to model his behavior much more. The issue is is that. Um, 
it seems as though every relationship he touches turns to garbage. And he sabotages so many other things in his life um, that I that I have to be very deliberate when I'm when I'm allowing him to be a mentor to only be a mentor in that particular category in which I want to follow his behavior in the physical health and wellness. Bingo. Because I think often you know we see someone that we perceive to be successful, maybe financially successful. We want to be more like them, so we start modeling other behaviors that aren't healthy behaviors. Yeah, and. You know, deciding the categories that you want to model from other people, I think, is 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 a really important part of of mentorship. Right. Um, the other one, which is which is one of my personal favorites, um, is I like to call the ninja mentor. And so, the ninja mentor is a mentor that that you approach with a certain level of stealth and um, and strategy. And so, these are people. Um, and I actually gave gave an example of of someone at the conference that that I had engaged with in this way. And this is this is simply asking a question and allowing someone, allowing yourself to learn from someone without actually calling them a mentor in any way. You know, um, people people around me are are my mentors all the time. Whether it's someone that I disagree with um, from a worldview perspective, and you know they're. There, there, are, there are plenty of people that I intersect with that I don't believe the same things they believe. Sure. But it's important for me to be able to get some perspective and allow them to mentor me by asking them a question, listening to what they said, and then asking them a follow-up question to figure out why they said that. Right. Um, and so it gives me a broader sense, really, of humanity to, to really see every single person that I interact with as a, as a mentor in some way. That's awesome. Um, the next one was a time machine mentor. These are these are people just in the past, right? These are these are your Dale Carnegies, your Abraham Lincoln's, you know, the the people that we can't sit down with, you can't you can't tweet to um, today, right? These are these are um, books and 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 courses that that build upon the the history that um, what you got. So what I got is a wild book by Vernon Howard. And it's called The Mystic Masters Speak. And he envisioned all of the giants of philosophy through the ages, going back to Greek Roman times. Yeah. And it's their quotes and thoughts. And I mean, what's interesting, and I'll show this to you, you'll see all these things that I go through. And you'll see that they're highlighted. Mm-hmm. And then I go back through with another highlighter color. And as I get older, it's kind of funny how different things take on different meanings. So one of the things that I read, I think it was Dale Carnegie, actually. He would envision a mastermind around him Yep. of all the past. They're no longer alive. Right. But he would pretend that, you know... Abraham Lincoln and George Washington and and whoever, Aristotle, whoever it is that you believe would have some wisdom that would be helpful. You have all of these guys and you put out your thoughts, your challenges, and see what they would say. And it's a very interesting inner dialogue that can occur. Is is that similar to what you're doing or is it different? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and it's just it's just taking the responsibility to learn learn about the past and the people who have been successful in the past. I mean, one thing Dale Carnegie said when he wrote his book How to Win Friends and Influence People is, "Look, guys, I stole all of this. There are not any original ideas here. There the aren't. only thing that he did is he took 
successful people, and he wrote down what they did. Yeah. To become successful, and you read that book, it's it's nothing that you know you wouldn't pass on a test if you were given the, a written test today. Every, er, almost every human being would score a hundred percent on 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 the how to win friends and influence people test. The question isn't do you know the information? It's do you know what the implications of implementing these things or not implementing these things? Do you know what those implications really are for your life and your success? Well, and the next step is, do you live it? Right. Do you bring it into your reality, and does it influence you to the point where you make different decisions and better yeah. decisions? and you treat people better, and you live better and more nobly than mm -hmm. before you were yep. exposed to this information. Right, absolutely. And so learning from the past, obviously, is, is I, I consider those people mentors of mine. Um, mm -hmm. And then, and then the, next, the next one is um, the fourth mentor was, it was something I called the worldview mentor. These are, these are people that are um, maybe... Um, maybe by definition closer to the more traditional definition of what a mentor is. Um, for me, my, my personal example is, is a, is a um, husband and wife here in Raleigh, um, the Brazils. Um, Tom and Molly are, are very much my worldview mentor, meaning uh, they've been where I want to go, and <clears throat> they, can, they can sort of sit above my perspective. And the, the photo I gave, I, I love the photo on the, the, the particular slide I used, was, was an astronaut sitting way above the world. And that's how I see them in my life is they're able to kind of see way above like my perspective and they're able to see things that are down each road depending on the decision that we're talking about that I'm, I'm considering making. And those sort of people are, are huge. I mean, right. you know, when I, was, when I was considering, you know, making the move over to Mega Group, you know, one of the things I told Tom was, Tom, without your blessing, I'm not making a, I'm not making a decision here um, because I, I trusted um, his ability to see that path. And you know he he unequivocally said you know you need to do this, this is this is the way to go, um, because you know he knew that, you know my primary objective at at Mega would be to to support and drive business for the independent retailer, and if there's anything that I feel <laughs> deeply um, um, deeply passionate about is um, independent family businesses um, because I've I've been that business owner with my with my face in my hands, um, sitting at my desk wondering what I'm going to do next. You know, yeah. I, I know, I know how the turkey tastes different when you owe a family member money. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um, at Thanksgiving. That's so, well um, so having, having those sort of mentors in my life has, has been, um, incredibly important. And then the next one is, um, just as important, you know, if you have a worldview mentor, it makes sense to also have a street view mentor. And so a street view mentor, someone who is kind of on the same level, maybe it's a, Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a peer, maybe it's someone that's lateral to you, or maybe it's an employee. Um, one of the things I th always think is interesting is how different, um, as I go into you know different businesses, whether it's with Mega or with Dell Carnegie, it's interesting how the conversations in the boardroom are often so much different than the conversations in the break room, and how that disconnect really, really often, uh, so often happens. And it's because I believe oftentimes leadership isn't is not willing to allow the people that have their boots on the ground to be mentors. I, I think we should we should be uh, allowing the the boots on the ground to be reporting to headquarters, <laughs> and, we, and we should be making decisions off of off of those first, off yes. of that information first before we do anything else, because they're the ones that get to feel, hear, and taste 
what's really going on in the business. Yep. And so I think oftentimes the break room conversations have a lot more truth in them than the boardroom um, conversations. Uh, and I think it's really easy for us to get idealistic about our business and, and kind of puffed up and proud about what our business is doing. If we're not paying attention to the street view, we can kind of live in that delusion. But at some point, that's going to that's gonna go away. Yeah, great, great companies facilitate that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you, got, you have um, to have that. Yeah, wow, and, this and, is like a mini seminar. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, um, let's see. Oh, and so that was that was five mentors there. The the half was the anti mentor. Um, and my my photo on that slide, I, I really like that one as well, which was um, Charlie Sheen. <laughs> and so so you have what not in, to be. Right, you have people in your life that that you can look at, and they can be just as a power as powerful to your develop when you look at them and say that is not what I want. Um, as the people who have done exactly what you want to do. So, um, understanding as a business person, as a as a human being, what you want and what you don't want. I mean, look, if you're going to accomplish anything, you have to have something to stand for and something to stand against. And kind of defining and understanding that, I think, is I think is really important. And that's that's why I put that put that half um, with my with my boy Charlie Sheen in there um, because there's just as many people that I look like look at and say, you know, that's not really what I want. And I think it's I think it's valuable. You know, my uh, my my grandfather on my mother's side had a, this huge net in his in his man cave before they had man caves mm. and he had all these sayings and they were different little little quotes and one of my favorite ones and i didn't understand when i first read it obviously is no man is ever a complete waste he can always serve as an example of what not to be mm -hmm. same yeah same thing yeah absolutely absolutely and you know to, to paraphrase um emerson i'm not going to get it right but, but I'll, I'll get the spirit um, but you know, one thing that he talked about was that that every person that he came across was um, it was his job was superior in some way, and it was his job to find out in what way. Yes. Um, and I and I think that kind of goes with the same spirit, and it's 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 important to note um, that understanding what you want or what you don't want is oftentimes just as important as understanding what you do. It's absolutely critical. Yeah. Because I think you you know your first few jobs in your life. Are really what you don't want to do. Right. I mean, I right. learned I didn't want to be a, 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 an, an umpire. I was an umpire for the uh, for my teachers. So mm -hmm. here I had just graduated, and now I was the umpire. And yeah. I had a few rules as an umpire. Number one rule is I recognized I was being paid, I forget if it was $25, I think it was $25. I was getting paid $25 a game, whether that game ended sooner or later. Number two, if it was there was a decision between safe or out, out, out every time. And I'll tell you what, they hated me. I mean, yeah. these are my teachers who, you know, some of them I really had a lot of respect for, some not so much. But, I mean, they had authority over me for years, right? And now I'm the umpire. That's and it was a very interesting thing. Um, and I learned I didn't want to be an umpire. I didn't want to be yelled at by people, and I just didn't want to be in that situation. The other thing that I learned very early in my career is I was not a very good factory worker. I tried. Mm -hmm. I tried to be diligent. I had two different factory jobs. I was horrible in both of them and learned what I didn't want. 
And it was yeah. kind of funny because as a freshman in college, I didn't get really good grades. But by the time I was a sophomore, I was pulling 3.0s plus because I had decided I don't want to be in a factory. Mm-hmm. That's not for me. Now, for some people, it's great. They, yeah, sure. You know, you know, and there's nothing wrong with working in a factory. There was just something wrong with working in a factory for me. Sure. So me not me learning what I didn't want helped me to put myself in a position where I could be at least eligible to compete for what I wanted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that's awesome. So, dude, I, I don't know how we're going to do this, but like in five minutes, can you do leadership? Um, yeah, I mean, what I wanted to really get across, and and this is really what how I see leadership. I mean, look, the the essence of the, the just the word in general, leadership, um, suggests going first, and so being willing to go first is is part of and really a prerequisite of leadership. the The trouble sometimes is that people don't know what to do first, right? Um, because they get a position and they've never led before. Right, um, and leadership isn't isn't something that they've developed over time because leadership is a developed skill. It's not a position. Um, you know, management is a position. Being a manager is something you can just get a title. But you know, the the truth is that people want to work for a person, not a position. Right, and people leave companies because they don't like people. They they don't leave they don't leave companies. They leave their manager. They leave a person, and. And so one of the things I said that I, I, I felt like maybe shook things up a little bit and, and sh- maybe shifted some, uh, some of the perception in the room was that you know great leaders are simply followers who are willing to go first. It's, it's, it's commonplace in, in our culture to um, not look favorably on following on followers. Uh, you know, but the, the, the truth of the matter is we all follow something, whether it's whether it's a someone that we report to, whether it's a worldview, whether it's a faith or a religion or a way of being, we're following something. Um, whether we're following um, you know, vulnerability or, or we're putting up walls, we're following those things that we, that we believe in. And I showed a video, it's called the first follower video, which, which to me really sums up what uh, the, the value and the power of, 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 of followership really is. And um, I mean, you can just YouTube the first follower, and it's the first video that'll come up. Um, and I think it's I think it bri- it's brilliant in the way that it illustrates um, the value of, of following. Because I think the, the worst thing that can happen to a person is for them to be elevated to a position of leadership when they've never led and they don't know what leading is. And right. Great leaders are people who have led from where they are for many years, and then they end up being a CEO, and that's when they. When people say, "Oh, they're a great leader," but it's almost like the Beatles, right? People people said the Beatles were an overnight success. Well, they played every night in bars and strip clubs for over a decade uh, before anybody cared about their music. And the same is true with 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 great leaders. You, know, you you look at you know great leaders, and they've been leading. They were leading when they were you know bottom rung, um, because leadership isn't about having the ability to fire people. Leadership is about having the ability to strengthen your relationships, to gain you know uh, willing cooperation with other people, and help people get what they want, right? And what they're looking to get and achieve their to to achieve their goals. And so I, I sort of use the to kind of tie everything together. I use this analogy of of a swing. Talked about how earlier earlier uh, earlier this year, 
my daughter graduated from the baby swing, which is like the the swing that like fully encapsulates you right. to the big girl to the big girl swing. Yeah. And this was another time where you know my my daughter was really a mentor to me and and really let me see some what I believe to be some really deep truth. And I, I thought about the swing and how kind of the swing works. Well, um, in order for her to learn um, how to swing, the first thing that had to happen is she had to have someone like me who had been there before. Um, maybe you know, maybe you could call that a mentor um, to to come behind her and pull her back and help her to get her first little bit of momentum. And you know, the the, the cool thing about a swing is the only way for you to go forward is for you to lean back. And leaning back into your past and, and thinking about and learning from the people and the situations that have come before you are, are the thing that propels you into your future. And if you're not willing to lean back into the past, you know, you, the, the first thing that I saw when I set my daughter on that swing was she just tried to lean forward. She leaned forward, she leaned forward and nothing would happen. And until I took her back into, into the past, um, she was never able to gain any forward momentum. And I felt like that was um, really inspirational, uh, a really inspirational moment for me because it really helped me see the value of, of what the past really is for us. And then, and as importantly, you know, once I got her going, my real job as a mentor was to go stand beside her and not to continue to push her and to let her go and to stand beside her and help her to understand that momentum, although the momentum was created for her, she can build on that momentum depending on her willingness to lean back into the past and press forward into the future in equal parts. And whenever she gets out of balance, then her momentum slows down. If she's leaning forward when she should lean back or vice versa, it's, you know, if she does that for long enough, she's going to stop and the momentum's going to die. Right. And, you know, what I, what I said to the, to the group at, at the, at the leadership conference was, you know, my, my greatest desire for them was to understand that our past is what propels us into the future, and our future is what allows us to um, really honor our past. And um, I think that's something that that current generation um, needs, and I think that's something that our future generation needs. Um, I think they're they're both e- needed equally in this equation of of growing our independent um, independent retail, independent business, family business, and one without the other is useless. I'm speechless. You should take that and develop it into a book, my friend. Yeah. I might. I think you should. So here's my, uh, remember I told you my thing about three books? Mm-hmm. My fourth book is going to be called Conversations on the Trampoline with My Daughter. Nice. I and like so it. When she's bouncing on the trampoline and I'm asking her about how her day was and and, and you know, somebody was mean and then we're kind of teaching her a philosophy of, of looking at things and, right. and, and life. And, and so many times I stop and I go, I'm teaching this, and I've learned it, but I'm learning it all over again. Right, yeah. And, you know, some of the things that came out of my mouth about life and people, I'm going... Well, that's pretty good. Now, I have to ask myself the next question. Am I living up to that ideal within myself? Yeah. And in my actions in the world, mostly, but also 
internally? Am I living up to that ideal internally? Because sooner or later, what the internal conversation in your mind will manifest itself into physical mm-hmm. reality. Sooner or later, I mean, that, that it's just going to happen. Right. And <clears throat> we have to be very careful of how we choose to see ourselves. For instance, when you chose to view yourself as the labels that were given to you, and you believed you're a victim versus I'm a hundred percent responsible for my development. I'm a hundred percent responsible for my results. This was a great talk, man. Uh, th- this could be the basis of a little mini course. Mm. It really could. I mean, yeah. uh, everybody needs to hear this, even people that know it and live it. We need to hear it again sure. just to keep us focused and mm-hmm. keep us going in the right direction. Yeah. So my hat is off to you, Doug. Thank you for delivering unbelievably great value. I want you to know that you went over the 20 minutes by 34 (laughs) minutes, but that was mostly my fault. But that was awesome. And you know what? I didn't want to stop it because there were so many golden nuggets in there. Anybody who owns a business, any RSA, any sales rep, anyone who's committed to getting better, in business and in life is going to get a lot out of this. So so thank you, my friend. Cool. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the No BS Sales, Marketing, and More podcast for furniture and mattress stores. We love reviews at our podcast. They help us get found. Please review us at iTunes or Stitcher. And while you're there, please subscribe. This podcast was brought to you by Primo Furniture Sales. For more tips on selling furniture and mattresses, go to PetePrimo.com. Till we meet again, sell a million. Thank you.